Welcome to Talking Heads on USA Global TV, starring the one and only wonderful Dr. Jacqueline. It's a prestigious place where world-class influencers and experts meet, and where you'll find the most trusted advisors and coaches for all things in life and business. Visit usaglobaltv.com to sign up for our newsletter, get the value you need, and be first in line to learn about events and giveaways and other valuable content. Connect with us. Email Jacqueline at usaglobaltv.com to talk about how you can become part of USA Global TV. That's USA Global TV, where the doctor is always in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to USA Global TV and Radio. I'm Dr. Jacqueline Kerbeck. I'm the president, founder, and chief listening officer here at our network. Our show today is The Corner Bookstore, and joining me, as always, is a dear friend and someone who knows quite a lot about writing and publishing and awards. She just did an Amazon Live, which I had the pleasure of watching, and her latest book is Time to Fly. Let's welcome Diane Floyd-Bain to the show. Hey, Dr. Jacqueline, how are you today? I'm doing really well. We've got some alarms going by, but doing well. So Diane, I'm super Mm -hmm. excited for you. You have continued success, success upon success upon success. What is your secret? Um, to listen to inspiration when it comes and um, for anybody and anything that you love to do. Um, and that's the secret is do what you love and uh, you'll be happy. It doesn't necessarily mean money wise, but happiness is everything, right? I'm so glad that you said that because people always think that when you publish a book that you're going to get rich instantly and (laughs) you're going to be on uh, (laughs) network news. Oh, wow, look at this person. But that's not actually the case most of the time. But there are different types of success and different things that are meaningful. And you really have accomplished the gamut. So congratulations. Thank you very much. It's very exciting. It's um, a long journey. Well, we have a fabulous guest who is backstage. We're going to be bringing him out in just a moment. But you two have something in common and that you both have the same publicist. So tell us a little bit about Mickey Mickelson. I'll be happy to. Oh, my gosh. Mickey is incredible. And I feel so blessed to uh, have met him, to have uh, he... um, wanted to work with me because, you know, you need to gel with the person you're working with. And um, not only does he help me get out, you know, get my message out there, but, and along with the other people he works with, but he, you're always learning and he has such a great spirit. And that's the kind of person I want to work with, a, a true human, gorgeous human being. So Yay for Mickey. Yay, Mickey. <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> and last week, I think it was, we had Bob Brill here on, which he was yes. also a fabulous guest. So I'm looking forward to bringing out Mark Leslie. He's the writer of more than 25 books. Is that amazing? It is. I'm in awe. <laughs> Woo! And he's also the author of Canadian Werewolf. Let's bring him out and see what he has to say, what he's up to. Joining us from Canada, it's Mark Leslie. Hi, Mark. Hey, great to be here. I'm I just I'm resonating already so well. We're gonna have a really, really grand time because Diane, when you said um, do what you love, that's exactly what I've spent my entire life doing. I've always loved stories and writing, and whether or not it's something that makes a lot of money, it doesn't matter because if a book I publish makes a lot of money, then I win. 
if a book that I write and publish doesn't make a lot of money, I won during the entire process of writing and publishing that book. And like you, I love working with Mickey. Um, I get to hang out with you two today because of Mickey Mickelson. <laughs> and that's just one of the uh, many amazing things that, um, that he's brought into my life. So I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> I am too. Yay. Thank you. Tell us about Canadian Werewolf. What is the premise of it? And what would you like readers to take away from it? Yeah, sure. So uh, the Canadian Werewolf is a series of books. There's six in the series. Five are out now. The sixth one is uh, up for pre-order. It's coming out in early 2023. And it was my attempt to look at uh, a genre, the werewolf genre, or or that sort of uh, werewolf trope within horror slash thriller slash paranormal slash urban fantasy fiction, and actually look at it realistically. I mean, realistically, meaning not meaning whether or not if you get bitten by a wolf, <laughs> you turn into a <laughs> werewolf during the full moon, but the idea of what it would be like to deal with the side effects of being a wolf. So the whole premise for the Canadian Werewolf series originated in a 10,000 word short story called This Time Around. And it was my attempt to look at how would a man, uh, and, and again, I just picking the character, I'm like, well, okay, I've always loved New York City, wanted, you know, lo would love to live there. It's just one of those cities I adore. What would it be like if I lived in New York and had to deal with waking up naked in Battery Park with a bullet hole in my leg, the taste of human blood in my mouth and wondering what the heck did I do last night? What did I get into? Because kind of like in the classic Incredible Hulk, the you know no idea of what you did when you were the monster and so dealing with the side effects of that how would i find clothes how would i get home without being detected you know butt naked so it became a humorous uh, adventure thriller it was a 10,000 word short story and the whole goal of the short story was michael andrews who was as, as yet unnamed in that short story trying to figure out how he was going to get clothes how he was going to get home and then the rest of his day would be piecing together what the heck he did the night before and, and that story uh, was readapted into a Canadian werewolf in New York because a really good friend of mine, Canadian horror author Sean Costello, who's a, you know, a mentor of mine, had read the story and he said, oh, that's great. What happens next? And I laughed and said, Sean, nothing happens next. That's it. And he said, no, but what happens the rest of his day? You know, the, the other wolf, all of these weird flashbacks that he had. And, 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 I, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to, to take on the rest of Michael's day? So the whole series, starting from that book, was a look at Michael's life, mostly as a human, but dealing with uh, having the side effects of these enhanced powers, enhanced senses, etc., and enhanced strength that he gets from being a wolf, and the misadventures that he gets into. So it's got thriller, it's got humor, uh, and it also has an underlying love story uh, in it, which kind of leads to the most recent release, Lover's Moon, between Michael and... Uh, a former ex-girlfriend of his who comes back into his life uh, just after he gets home from this latest escapade and, and says, hey, Andrews, I know you're a wolf. I've, I've figured it out a long time ago. I need your help. And her fiance uh, has been kidnapped or he's disappeared. She's not sure, but she thinks something nefarious is going on. And she knows he can help her because he can you know, take articles of of this man's clothing and maybe be able to track down where he went to and where he disappeared to. And that's sort of the premise of uh, a Canadian werewolf in New York. Of course, he's got to solve all these things because his literary agent has got him booked. Now this takes place back in time. 
uh, it's like 2006-ish or 4-ish. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> 2006, I think. Uh, he is a guest on the David Letterman show because like Mickey Mickelson, his agent managed to land him a booking <laughs> just sort of at the, almost at the last minute to get on David Letterman that night because there was another cancellation. And so the, 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 the showdown, the final showdown between Michael and the other wolf who's uh, invaded his territory actually happens during the taping of the live broadcast um, because Letterman is filmed in the late afternoon for broadcast later that night. And so it all happens as um, as uh, he encounters the the wolf uh, on the show. So that was kind of the first book. And I had no idea back in 2016 when I finally released that book, I had no idea that there would be another book in the series uh, until what happened was I was asked by a couple authors who were um, editing an anthology. They, they wanted to do a, a, an anthology with a theme of monster road trip. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be neat if Michael was on a road trip, where would he go? And the road trip was Stowe, Vermont. Um, and I thought, okay, he's going to Stowe, Vermont because Gail, his now best friend, uh, ex-girlfriend, is up there and he wants to be with her to help her out. There's a family issue that's going on and he's getting on the train. It's that time of month for him. So he's going to turn into a wolf at the minute, you know, the sun sets. And he's on his way from uh, Manhattan to Stowe, Vermont. And on the train, of course, as, as often happens, he finds a young girl who's in trouble. She's being chased by a human predator and he wants to protect her on the way and they become friends. And of course there's this misadventure um, that's been described as uh, planes, trains, and automobiles meets uh, Logan, which is the Wolverine movie <laughs> where Wolverine and a young woman are on their cross country adventure. So that was stowaway. And that was about a 20,000 word uh, short story that ended up becoming book two, which is more of a novella than a full length novel in the series. And then I couldn't stop. I kept going with Fear and Longing in Los Angeles and Fright Night's Big City, uh, which was the fourth book. And then, of course, Lover's Moon in response to so many readers who were fascinated with Michael and Gail and the fact that at one time they were lovers, at one time they were a couple. And a lot of my readers were really intrigued by the relationship because Michael's still in love with Gail throughout this. And, and it's this relationship that can never happen because she doesn't want it to happen. And so the flashback in Lover's Moon is to when they first met and when they first fell in love. And so that was a really fun uh, exploration uh, to write. Now for that one, I couldn't do it on my own because I've never written a romance novel before. So I had to enlist the help of a really good friend of mine, Julie Strauss, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal writer. And, and I needed somebody who could write Gail's perspective for this series, for this, for this novel. In a, in a way that I, I was not able to, because like Michael, like my main character, I put Gail up on a pedestal. I worshipped her, worshipped the ground she walked on so she could do no wrong. She could have no flaws. She was just the ultimate perfect woman. And so Julie came in and really enhanced the character of Gail, really brought out some amazing qualities and traits and flaws and, and, and made the character maybe fall in love with her even harder because of these flaws, because of all these... Uh, nuances and dynamics. And so uh, we, we released that book earlier this year and that was an absolute treat. And I know it was more of a, it was more of an answer to some of the, some of the readers who had written in and said, Oh, I'd love, to, I'd love to know how they met and fell in love. I'd love to hear that backstory. So I thought maybe it would be a short story 
and then I think when Julie and I started writing it, initially it was going to be a long short story. Then it was going to be a novella. And I think we were maybe only two weeks into the writing of it, and Julie came back and said, "You know, this is going to be a full length novel." And and it clocked in around sixty five thousand words. So that that was just a, a treat to write. Wow! Congratulations! <laughs> Amazing! It's fantastic! Oh, you gave us a lot of uh, good, juicy details there. I found myself thinking about that relationship, too. I'm like, hmm, somebody's still in love with somebody. It has to be that way. And uh, so I'm wondering how much of what you write about is based on either research or fantasy that you like things that you've dreamed about doing? Well, Michael is a Canadian writer living in New York, so there's one fantasy. <laughs> Having grown up reading Spider-Man comics, like Michael, uh, you know, just the, the idea of living in, in New York uh, is, is wonderful. I mean, I've visited New York dozens of times over the years, and so some of it's based on neighborhoods I've been to. So one of my first visits to New York involved um, the Algonquin Hotel, very literary, uh, literary spot uh, to hang out, and I... Um, and so I have Michael living at the Algonquin Hotel. So there's a lot of research there. There's even a scene where Matilda, the cat, the, the house cat at the Algonquin Hotel in Manhattan, um, where the cat gets kidnapped. And of course, Michael has to go find uh, the cat because they have a special relationship because the cat knows he's more than just a human. That there's animal nature. So they have this playful relationship. So the Algonquin features prominently in it. But then also there's... Um, other uh, places that I've been to. So, for example, it was it was on a walk through Battery Park. The first time I've been through Battery Park that I envisioned the first, the opening scene uh, from a Canadian werewolf in New York where he wakes up in that park. And, and normally he would go and plant himself at Central Park because there's a lot more place for a wolf to run around. You know, if you've been to Battery Park, you know, there's not a lot of green space there. So the question is, how the heck did he get from Central Park down to Battery Park? What happened? He must have gone through the city somehow. What happened? And so... A lot of the things are based on my own experiences. The 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 novel that's set in, in Los Angeles, of course. Again, this is you know fantasy for me. Is Michael is a popular writer? He's actually an international best-selling author. He's had his books turned into TV shows and movies. So this is very much fantasy uh, aspects of it. But you know, my my several trips to Los Angeles sort of populated uh, where Michael ended up staying, including. The hotel he stays at, including some of the neighborhoods, even even uh, some of the bars uh, that he hangs out in. So a lot of the things that get in, go into my novels are are really inspired by places I've been, places I've wanted to go to, and uh, whether it's based on actually being there in person or in a lot of cases, I really really have to thank Google Maps because Street View, which you can do is you can go in and you can actually double check. You know, is it? You know, is there is there a light at this intersection? Uh, especially, it becomes important in, in some of the storylines. Or when you turn right from here, what do you what are you actually able to see? And so sometimes the Google Street View really helps you understand a little bit more about about the the location because obviously you can't memorize everything when when you've gone to uh, visit a place. I love that Google Maps. That's uh, you know I never thought about using the Street View like that. That was. That was extremely, extremely smart. Thank you. <laughs> I, I want to add, I suspect that a lot of these fantasies are going to be reality. Well, I'd like <laughs> to. I'd like to, I'd like to believe that. But 
But that's the thing. And, and I think, you know, doing what you love is important. So I love telling these stories. I enjoy telling the stories. Obviously, there are some readers out there that are also enjoying those stories, too. So whether or not that fantasy ever becomes a reality and, and, and things get adapted or, or whatever, I'm still enjoying the process. Uh, so, again, I've already won by the time the book is even published. That's true. Enjoying the process is so important. I love how you said that. And I want to commend you. A lot of authors would not get another author to give the woman's perspective. And it really shows what an uh, intuitive person you are, that you really wanted the, um, the readers to have authenticity in uh, your character. And uh, that, that was amazing. Oh, that you thank did that. You. No, I appreciate that. And and again, I've co-authored uh, several books, uh, mostly nonfiction books that I've co-authored, but this was the first novel I co-authored. And I could not have done it if I did not have 100% trust and faith in Julie. Now, Julie Strauss is an amazing author. She's the host of the Best Book Ever podcast. And I have adored it. And, and I'm not typically a romance reader. I've maybe read 20 romance books in total uh, in my life. And several of those are Julie's. And I love her romance. Uh, her romance are like women's fiction, humorous. And 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 I think uh, Prosecco Heart was one of the novels that Julie wrote that I adored. Now, she she put my partner, Liz, and I in it as a sort of a nod to us. She made us a couple walk-on characters uh, <laughs> set in, in, in Los Angeles. Uh, I... I um, I write true ghost stories as well. Uh, so I have several uh, books about haunted locations. And one of those locations is uh, in Orange County, uh, sort of south of Los Angeles near um, where Julie and her husband live. And I'd said, hey, you should go check out the Phantom, um, uh, Phantom Carriage Brewing. It's allegedly haunted. So she went there and was so disturbed by the horror theme of this, of this brewery that she wrote it into Prosecco Heart and uh, she wrote it into the novel and she fictionalized it. And I thought it would be really fun as a nod to Julie to actually have Michael go to that same fictional bar when he's in L.A. and actually encounter or overhear uh, one of the lines of dialogue from Tabitha, who is the main character in Prosecco Heart. And um, it's the embarrassing scene where, where there's a movie being projected, which is kind of a splatter porn movie because Julie was having a lot of fun with the disgustingness. And, and, and Tabitha is drunk and yells out to her friend who's bald like me and says, there's a giant penis on your forehead and then <laughs> embarrasses everyone. And so I have Michael sitting at the bar at the same time, overhearing Tabitha and wondering what's wrong with that strange woman. So that was sort of a nod to Julie in Fear and Longing in Los Angeles. And I love the fact that we both, uh, that we both had that um, same fictional brewery there. And then I had no idea when I wrote that, that Julie would be joining me on this journey. And, uh, and again, like I said, Julie brought, uh, a, you know, three dimensionality to Gail that, um, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to think I'm a pretty good writer, but I think I was too close. I was too close to Gail uh, to, mm -hmm. to find her flaws, to, to, to dig mm -hmm. them out. And it's kind of like, you know, doesn't matter how good a writer you are, you always need to work with a, that second set of eyes. You need to work with a developmental kind of editor. You need to work with someone who can really pull your stuff apart and help you make it even better. And, and in that same regard, I took a character I really, really adored and wanted to explore further. And Julie really helped me pick apart uh, Gail. So even though 
maybe only 30% of what we talked about in terms of Gail's background, and then we brainstormed together, only about 30% of that appears in Lover's Moon. We have so much more about Gail that I now know, that mm -hmm. Julie knows. And of course, uh, later today, uh, as, as we're recording this, um, actually right after I finished this, Julie and I are meeting to discuss Hex and the City, which is the follow-up to the next book in the series. And the way that we set up Lover's Moon is it's set in modern times, and then there's a flashback as, as Michael and Gail start talking about, do you remember when we first met? And then there's a flashback to how they first met and fell in love. So that part of it is, is pure romance. And then the epilogue, uh, a couple of characters who you meet in the flashback show up at Michael's door and announce some scary thing, a hex. Uh, they're about to say something bad has gone down. We need to talk to you. And that's going to introduce Hex in the City. And Hex in the City is going to get into Gail's background even more. So one of the challenges I'm having is all of the books from Canadian, uh, a Canadian Werewolf series are written from Michael's first-person point of view. Lover's Moon was alternating chapters. I wrote a chapter. Julie wrote a chapter. And one of the challenges I'm, I'm, I'm having as, as I'm conceptualizing Hex in the City is I think half of the novel needs to be told from Gail's point of view. No, it's not going to be romance. It's going to be back to humorous adventure. But how do I share... What Gail's up to if the novel's told only from Michael's point of view. The minute I have her told from Michael's point of view, it it ruins it. There's a bias, obviously. You're 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 getting the colorization of the of the scene from Michael's point of view. And, and I think it's really, really critical to see Gail's firsthand perspective. So we're we're negotiating whether or not I can get her to help me write this second book and co-author it again. Exciting. Isn't it wonderful, or maybe not, <laughs> but to me, when the character becomes so real that you you can feel their soul, and that's where the inspiration for the words come. Would you say that's correct or not? No, I agree with you a hundred percent. I think. <clears throat> <clears throat> when you're looking at a character and, and this doesn't happen with every single character there are some side characters as well that yes. you just want to write them because it's so much fun right? mm -hmm. it's so much fun to play with this character and see what they're going to say uh, that happens with Mac uh, Mac the Knife Halpin who's Michael's literary agent he's a gruff tough guy who gives Michael a hard time and sometimes I just want to put a scene in there because I want to see what insult he's going to hurl at Michael because he makes because <laughs> Michael is a Alpha wolf, but a beta human. So he's a pushover as a human. He's a, a stereotypical apologetic Canadian like myself. And and so I have a lot of fun throwing him up against this gruff, tough, you know, hardened New York literary agent who just mocks him all the time. <laughs> I definitely want to hear more about this collaboration that you're doing and uh, what it's like to actually write with someone else. I think that's something I've never done. But first, we're going to take a break and we're going to hear from some of our sponsors, including the lovely Diane Floyd Bain. Let's take a look and we'll be right back. Diane Floyd Bain's A Song of Peace tells the story of a young lad named Tommy, whose fervent wish for peace on earth touches the hearts of his friends and family spreads to his community, and eventually unites the whole world around making his dream of peace a reality for everyone. Sit down with the children in your life and share Tommy's amazing story of love and hope. Sing your own song of peace and invite the children to join you. Tommy's tale is more than just a story. It's a movement, and everyone's warmly welcome to take part. Ba -ba -ya -ba -ya -ba -ya -ba -ya -ba 
find a song of peace along with many other wonderful learning and enriching opportunities for children of all ages at dianefloydbame.com The session that we had with BCAT was really entertaining and enlightening. We were able to put together some very specific steps that we as individuals can take and it was really fun to all come together and see sort of where we're going as a team and how we can all get there together. We had a tremendous experience with the BCAP partners. One of the challenges that we have as an organization is to make sure that we have the right people in the right chairs doing the right thing. To do that well, you have to have synergy. You can try to dream up ways to make sure that your group does that or you can rely on experts. We would recommend BCAP partners to anybody who's looking to take their organization to the next level. Boys and girls, and welcome to Story Garden. Your host, Diane Bame. I'm so happy to have you here today. Diane Floyd Bame tells wonderful stories that warm the heart, spark the imagination, and unite people and families across generations. For children, Diane's Harry the Camel connects with all of us who've ever wondered how different our lives might have been if only we'd been born something better, like a wonderful horse instead of an ordinary camel. In the end, we all learn along with Harry that there's nothing better than just being yourself. Diane's little girl in the moon looks down on earthbound children and wonders if they know she's just like them. A story of love, home, and the bond between mother and daughter, its powerful theme that we're each of us different yet all of us the same, plants a seed in children that promises to blossom within a loving and trusting grown-up. Diane's new biography, Rise, recounts the experiences of her grandmother, Ruby, to reveal the hidden strength of the human spirit. Ruby's story inspires all of us to become the best versions of ourselves. You'll find all of Diane's delightful books and much more at dianefloydbame.com. Visit d-i-a-n-n-f-l-o-y-d-b-o-e-h-m.com. That's dianefloydbame.com. Welcome back to USA Global TV and Radio. I'm still Dr. Jacqueline Kerbeck, and this is still the Corner Bookstore. Before we get back to the show, I just wanted to mention I will be reviewing this book, Dementia Home Care, How to Prepare Before, During, and After by Tracy Cram Perkins. This review will be on Dr. Jacqueline's book club on Friday at noon Eastern time, 5 p.m. British summertime. Now let's get back to the show. Let's welcome back Diane Floyd-Bame. Hello. Hi. 
Thanks for your sponsorships, by the way. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> and our special guest, Mark Leslie. Let's welcome him. Hello. Hey, still Mark Leslie. <laughs> still Mark Leslie. <laughs> so, Mark, before the break, I teed up that question about what is it like to collaborate with someone when you're writing? In so many things in life, there's a lot of ego. But understand in the author community, authors are really supportive of one another. Tell us your experience, please. Yeah, typically. Uh, my, my previous collaborations were for nonfiction books. So um, um, true ghost story books, Spooky Sudbury haunted hospitals and uh, macabre montreal and and that was a different kind of collaboration because what we did is we we're researching different stories about a location or locations like a type type of location like hospitals and so we usually just divide a divide up and conquer we use uh, google spreadsheets because you know we can share them uh, remotely because all of my co-authors were uh, not living in the same town as me and just basically identify okay i'm going to research this and i'm going to write a chapter on this and with the nonfiction. It's very nonlinear. I mean, there, there's sort of a, a story arc of, of the whole book, but um, they're all like segments, they're pieces, they're chunks, they're articles, nonfiction articles that are all thematically grouped together in a book. But with a novel, it was different. And so the first thing that happened with um, Julie and I was we spent probably three or four hours of, of Zoom chats because she's in California and I'm in Ontario, Canada. And uh, just chatted uh, about the characters, about the background, about what the story's supposed to be. And then, of course, we were also limited by the fact that in a Canadian werewolf in New York and in Fear and Longing in Los Angeles and in Stowaway, I mention a little bit about how they met. So we were restricted by, okay, they obviously met in May of 2011, and here's why they met. And And Michael shares how he fell in love with Gail or how that relationship evolved, but it was very high level. So we, we got to dig into the weeds and, and look at the details, but then also see that same thing from Gail's point of view. And one of the things we learned was, oh, Michael remembered that wrong, <laughs> which which happens, right? It's a, it's a human uh, trait that we remember things wrong or, or we, you know, when, when you put someone on a pedestal like that, often our memories are, are clouded by things that we inserted into them later. And so we had to, and I normally write by the seat of my pants, so I'm a pantser as opposed to a, a planner or plotter. I often kind of know how it, maybe how it's going to end, a couple things along the way, and, and then I just kind of take my characters, I throw them into a situation, and I see what happens. <laughs> and and, and I'm, I'm just documenting what they do, what they say to me, and what they do. Now, Julie, unlike me, is uh, very organized. She's a project manager, and she gets stressed out when things aren't planned out. So obviously what we had to do, because we were co-writing alternating chapters, I wrote the Michael chapters from Michael's point of view, first person. She wrote the Gail chapters from Kale's point of view, for, uh, first person. And we had the alternating chapters. So we had to map out the entire structure of what was going to happen chapter by chapter, and we wrote it in a tag team. So what we did is we... Uh, Julie actually sent me this amazing uh, map, which was the month of, I think it was the month of March, where we, she basically said, okay, I'm going to write the prologue, and then I'm going to pass that to you, and then you're going to write chapter one, and then you're going to pass it back to me, and then I'm going to write chapter two. <laughs> and so that's how we kind of did it, and we had the whole month planned out, because we had our editor booked for the next month. So we had, okay, we got to get this book done, and then we got to get it to our editor, and then we, and we, and we did several passes uh, on it. So we were kind of tweaking and editing each other's work as we got it back, uh, immediately writing it. And that was such a fascinating experience because 
I don't know if I've ever had so much fun writing a book because I was anticipating Julie's in Pacific time and I'm in Eastern time. And so I would get her manuscript back and I would often, if I had time, depending on when it got back to me, I would read it and just sit there and, ju and just enjoy it. I, it was just so much fun to see what she was going to do. Now I knew what was going to happen at a high level. Like in this chapter, this needs to happen or this is going to happen. We're going to plant this thing here. We're going to, you know, like different plot elements that we knew would, would come together in the end. But I had no idea how she was going to do it. And it was just so much fun. I remember giggling out loud. I remember yelling, yes, 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 this is awesome. Emailing her back, telling her how amazing she was. Um, and then being inspired first thing the next morning, I'd get up early and I would, I would go to town on my chapter. And, and, and so there was, the motivation there was, I didn't want to let her down. I wanted to get this out. And it, the other thing that happened that we both found happening, which I thought was interesting, is I would finish my chapter. I would send it to her and I would think, oh, my God, I'm such a fraud. I'm so horrible. This is such a crappy chapter. And I would always send it with an apology and say, this sucks. I'm so sorry. Let me know how I can fix it. I promise I'll, I'll fix it. I'll make it better. And she would come back and go, oh, my God, this is amazing. I loved it. And she would do the same thing. She'd send me a chapter and go, eh, I don't know. It's not really that good. And yeah, but let's we'll, we'll, we'll fix it later on. And, and I would read it and go, oh, my God, this was brilliant. This was absolutely brilliant. So I think uh, the joy, because uh, we have a good friendship. And I remember Julie said something to me early on. She said, this novel is cool and it's important, but it's not as important as our friendship. And I don't want anything to get in the way of, of that because we have a, a solid friendship. We met at a writer's conference years ago. And, and even though I, I think I've only hung out with her in person maybe three times, uh, you know, I met her husband once. We, the three of us went out, had a, a fantastic time together. She hasn't even met my partner, Liz, except through virtual <laughs> drinks that we've had together as, as two couples, um, you know, especially during the pandemic, <laughs> you know, those, the, the evening sort of socials where you're sitting in your own, in your own, uh, you know, either living room or backyard, and you're just chatting with each other while you're, while you're socializing and having virtual drinks. But, um, that that relationship was so important. But what we ended up doing is I think we strengthened our friendship because not only did we realize that we have a lot in common as friends, but we also realized uh, we've read each other's novels, but we realized just how much fun it could be to actually work together. And we didn't kill each other. She didn't kill me for being such a, a pantser along the way, too. Sorry, I think we're both on mute. Diane, you're on mute. <laughs> Sorry, I was so excited about what you said, because I agree, it's so much fun and you get this energy and you actually learn from working with other people. Yeah, I, I have a comment that's on it takes us to another direction, but I want Dr. Jacqueline to address what you just said. Oh, thanks. I was just gonna say I've never heard of what was it? Pantser? What are the three things you mentioned? Oh, Pantser versus plotter. Yeah, I'm a pantser. <laughs> you write by the seat of your pants, right? You just kind of sit down and see where it's going to take you. Yeah. And plotter, what was the other one? Plotter or planner. So somebody who who, who maps out their book and understands, ah. outlines the book in detail and then writes it. Now, I usually mm -hmm. outline nonfiction books. I, I need to know what the chapters are. But usually for fiction, the well, it's called, if you prefer to use a more... Um, an elegant term for a pantser, like, is uh, I'm a discovery writer. I prefer discovering what's going to happen along the way. I like pantser, but yes, discovery. I used to drive my teachers crazy being like that. And look where you are today, Diane. Look, I know. I need to go find them all. But I have a question for you. So um, I noticed in the background, th this must be your special room for writing, maybe? 
this is my writing room. So I writing. sit at the desk here. I have a stand-up desk. Yeah. You've noticed some of the paraphernalia behind me, right? Yes, yes. So um, it made me think of the catacombs. And um, so it's. In, I love meeting different authors, especially people who write in your genre, because for example, I was in the catacombs in France and I could, uh, my family was like, oh God, this is so cool. And I'm like, I just, I just wanted to wave a wand to make everybody come back alive, except we would have, <laughs> you know, we wouldn't have been able to breathe because there's so many <laughs> skeletons down there. <laughs> but um, I, I'm, what made you want to go into this genre? I've um, I've always been afraid of the dark. Uh, I've, I've often joked, um, you know, I'm, I, I when I was growing up, I was afraid of the monster under my bed. I still am. <laughs> we don't we don't have an underneath of the bed. We have a box spring right on the floor and a mattress, and that's good for me because then no monsters can hide under my bed. <laughs> Interesting. You know, there is a book called The Monster Under the Bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. I know. <laughs> it's, it's a good scary. one too. <laughs> So, yeah, I've always been uh, fascinated by the macabre. And then, of course, I, uh, you know, I started collecting skulls when I launched my first book, One Hand Screaming, in 2004. I got a little ceramic skeleton. I called him Yorick, and I brought him to book signings. And I thought it was kind of a neat little prop. And then just over the years, people have either gifted, they like, say, hey, I saw this a skull. I bought it for you. I, I, none of my skulls are real human skulls. They're all uh, fake, <laughs> based on reality. And uh, I think I have 36 in my office here. Uh, you can't wow. see them all, but it's just been a part of my brand. And and so I, I kind of do it as a, as a marketing uh, gimmick or shtick. I also have a full-length, uh, full-sized skeleton, Barnaby Bones, who um, actually he's in the car right now because I'm doing a lot of in-person events. So he comes mm -hmm. to with me to events. And the reason I bring Barnaby and I have the the, the skulls with me is... If people see me sitting at a table in front of a bookstore at a mall, for example, or at, at an event, I'm going to be doing a lot of sort of outside author fair events and tents, and they see the guy with the skeleton and the skulls, they either avoid eye contact with the crazy man and walk uh, quickly in the other direction because it's not their cup of tea, or if they are interested in the macabre, they come rushing right over. Hey, this is for me. Uh, I also have a sign that says uh, ghost stories told here. And, and that's another way to break the ice because then people can go come up and say, oh, well, tell me a ghost story. I was like, well, what, what kind of ghost stories do you like? Because I have thousands of them. And so Barnaby is a great icebreaker because often uh, times people will just come up and say, hey, your buddy looks like he could use a meal. In which case I can joke and say, well, if you buy a book, maybe I can afford <laughs> I can afford that. <laughs> um, he often wears a T-shirt. So right now I've got the Canadian werewolf T-shirt that he wears because people like to pose with him. And so if they're going to pose with him and share a picture on social media, but the crazy bald guy they talk to. <laughs> you know, um, you, there's at least some advertising uh, for some of my books there. And, um, and so that's kind of part of the brand. And so so I've, I've played it up. I've, I've had reporters come to my house to take pictures of me in my in my library where, where I do uh, the work at home. And as sometimes they said, hey, can we just line up all of your your skulls on the um, on the desk in front of you? We think that would be a great picture now. Uh, a lot of a lot of times I get media close to Halloween because of the kind of scary stuff that I write. But that worked out really, really well, because uh, when the newspaper came and did that, when I launched my book, Haunted uh, Hamilton, Hamilton, Ontario, um, not too far, maybe an hour, um, an hour outside of Toronto. And that was on uh, that was in the entertainment section uh, about my new forthcoming book. And they had all the skulls. And then I got a call from the publicist from my publisher that said, hey, 
one of the morning show hosts from CHCH Morning Live, which is broadcast to about 60% of the province of Ontario from Hamilton, she saw the article. She'd love for you to come on the show. So so I, I called her and I said, yeah, I can, I can be on there tomorrow. No problem. Um, she said, can you do me a favor? And she sounded really kind of nervous. Could you bring your skulls? <laughs> I said, <laughs> oh, Annette, oh, Annette, I'm going to bring all the skulls and Barnaby. And so the opening scene, when, when she first introduces me, they're, they're zoomed in on Barnaby Bones, the skeleton, sitting there at the table with Annette and I. And as they zoom back, you see the two of us. We've got my, I've got a trunk that has skulls on it, like all the paraphernalia. I just brought everything. We turned it into a very Halloween-y looking show. And it was, it was just, it was perfect. But again, the skulls, it's just part of the branding. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I do too. It makes me smile. Yeah. <laughs> What's something we all have in common, right? We all have yes. we all have skulls. <laughs> yeah, we are. And and I love that you have this Barnaby because you know it makes me want to sing the hip bones connected to the it's the child of me. <laughs> no, it, it, and again, that's perfect. That and that's the fun thing. There, there's kids actually. I have a version of Barnaby out in the front yard, uh, out in my front yard here and he sits there and i put him in different costumes because the kids who walk by in the neighborhood love looking to see what he's wearing and you know for canada day he's, he's dressed up in all you know canadian kind of flags and stuff like that canadian colors we got him dressed up for saint patrick's day and he put puts on bunny ears at easter and and so it's just this cute little thing i've got a santa outfit for him that he puts on at christmas and and it's just so much fun watching the kids looking at him and laughing and wondering what what he's what he's going to be wearing the next time I, I love that. I love I your love creativity. That. That's so nice. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Mark and Diane, we're actually at the end of our show. We've got another show coming up right after this. So, Mark, I'm going to spotlight you. And for people who can't read the banner or they're listening on the radio, what's the best way for people to reach out to you, to purchase your books, to network with you, connect with you? Please let us know. Yeah, and thank you guys so much. This has been uh, such a, a, a fun time chatting with you. You can check out everything you want to learn about me and, and things you don't want to know about me over at marklesley.ca. Uh, Canadian Werewolf in New York is free right now on all major ebook retailers. You can ask for my books at your local library. I love when you do that. And if you want to listen to Lover's Moon for free, you can go to loversmoon.ca where Julie and I are reading the podcast. We are, are doing the reading. I'm reading for Michael and she's reading for Gail. And that's, I think we just released chapter 14 and there's 21 uh, or 22 chapters in total coming out there. So you can enjoy that whatever way you prefer. And and thanks again for having me on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. It's been our Thank pleasure. You. And please do come and see us on one of our other 28 live weekly broadcasts. We'd love to have you back. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Well, that was a lot of fun, Diane. I know. And, you know, um, I realize you can read his books all year round, but as fall approaches, I already start thinking about Thanksgiving and Halloween. And I don't know if you know it, but uh, Gladys the Witch comes out <laughs> for Halloween and I get very excited. So he has me already ready to um I love how I can go re read or listen to his books. So I'm definitely going to do that. And I know Gladys the Witch is going to love reading it too. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm that, already in the mood. <laughs> I love it. Can you tell people how they can watch your recent Amazon live interview? 
Sure. Um, I actually, thank you, Dr. Jacqueline. I actually just um, posted it on my website. So if you go um, to www.dianefloydbaim.com um, and, and underneath news, a window open up and it says media and the Amazon's right there. Or you can just Google dianefloydbaim.com on Amazon Live. Sorry, I have a still getting over sickness and um, it'll, it'll come up and I'll be there. All right. Thank you. And thank you for persevering, even though you're not feeling hundred <laughs> percent, you look fabulous. So it's I amazing what lighting can do, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I know you need to go, but you know, today was just so much fun and he really reminded me um, I'd almost forgotten that I had gone to the catacombs and I really did have that feeling. I just wanted to wake everybody up and, you know, there's thousands of people underneath the Paris streets uh, due to the sickness. And, um, and when I see skeletons, I don't, I can't be like him and have them in the room because even if they're fake, I want to give them a name and a personality and, I want to know what they're thinking. And so, I, you know, that's why I do children's books. <laughs> Diane, do hold up your book, please, so everyone can see it. Let me take your banner down. There it is. A time to fly. Tell I'm us so about it. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> so. Tell us about it, Diane. Oh, sure. Thank you, Dr. Jacqueline. So A Time to Fly is about a little bluebird who doesn't want to leave his nest. He is so comfortable. And why should he fly away when he has everything right there? But his mama um, gets him to realize, like, you know, you're growing out of your nest, kiddo. And um, so he doesn't think he can fly. But by the end of the story, step by step, his mama gives him the courage and before you know it, he soars. And that's just like us in real life. And that's why I like writing children's books, because the messages I have are for all of us, young and old. Absolutely beautiful, Diane. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me. You're going to have a new book coming out, too, and I'm excited about it. I am, actually. Let me see. I'll just go through it quickly if I can find my little graphic. Yeah, so the books I have out already are here. Behind the Green Screen, How to Succeed in the Live Broadcasting Business, which is a story about how and why I left the corporate world and started this with a radio show and where we are now. And the second book is Adversity to Awesome. And this is 12 chapters. Each chapter is an interview I had with a different person who overcame some incredible adversity. And my chapter of what happened to me is the first chapter in the book. And then we also have the newest book coming out, which is a children's book, one of seven, The Amazing Adventures of Lady Ella, The Listening Mentor. We also have a TV and radio show. And the goal and the, the purpose of these books is to teach children and their families how to listen at an elevated level. And each of the animal characters you see here on the cover and then in the book represent real people, including Diane Floyd Bame. You'll see there in the front, she is the gazelle yes, named yeah. Zell. And each of these animals has a different role and part in the story to help really teach listening skills in a new way. And next we have this book, um, the cover's still being worked on. So we've already had two or three iterations since then. So don't panic, but I don't have the latest here to upload. But the second book in the series is called Lady Ella's ABCs of Listening. And Lady Ella and the animals go to the school of joy 
to teach the children, the animals, how to listen. So thanks for asking, Diane. You're welcome. I'm so, I love all your books, but I'm so excited about the listening one. And again, that to me is for all ages because we all can become better listeners. And uh, it's interesting that you use the word joy. In the past two weeks, I have heard that word in so many conversations. And I'm so happy to hear that word become uh, popular, if I could say again, because I haven't heard it in a while. And and here you just referenced it as well. And uh, joy in our life is important. It sure is. The course that I teach that you got certified in is The Power of Listening. But for the kiddos and young people, I'm going to be putting together these books under the joy in listening. So wow. There you go. And you know, I, I really... I mean, for the listeners, this is the first time for me to hear this. So I, uh, she did not pay me to say this, but Dr. (laughs) Jacqueline, I mean, isn't that beautiful? The joy in in listening, you know, in what an important word. Yes. Yeah. The joy in listening and yeah. Let me know how I can help you get it into schools and people's hands. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. My whole mission is if we learn how to listen at an elevated level, there'll be more inner peace. There'll be more world peace. So why not teach us how to listen when we're children, as opposed to waiting decades later and having to undo all of our bad behaviors that we have by judging people, interrupting people, providing solutions no one asked for, and the worst of all, stealing the stage and taking the story away from the other person and making it about ourselves. So So that's what it's all about. So true. Listen, I think anyone listening out there, we we need to uh, raise money for you to go and teach Congress how to find joy in listening to each other. (laughs) Other people have said that as well. Um, I have that on my my spreadsheet of things that I need to do. (laughs) But we've got to run because the film and music show is starting in 10 minutes. It's a great show, by the way. Yay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Diane. Thank you, Mark. Stay tuned for the next show, everyone. Yes, stay here. All right, we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.